again and welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind. That's our virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. We visit together just about every week here in the virtual classroom or our podcast called Knowing God with Heart and Mind. Each week we are visiting another chapter or another verse in the book of Revelation right now. In fact, this is Revelation Bible Study, episode 33. Episode 33 is being recorded on December the 19th, 2018. We're getting close to the end of our journey through the book of Revelation, but we still have a few more chapters to go, and so stick with us for this uh, upcoming episode where we will visit chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. Now, let's begin with worship. Our psalm reading today is Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glory the Lord with me. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the eyes and the ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from me. And those who look on are radiant. Never be ashamed. Never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard me and said. Lord, sometimes it feels like we're not going to get what we want from you. Sometimes it feels like we're not going to get the deliverance that we seek. But as we hear these words, we are reminded that you hear the prayers of the righteous. And we know that we really have nothing righteous in us apart from that which is created through Christ's love and sacrifice. Now because of his love and his sacrifice, we are made righteous in your sight. Therefore, 
You will deliver us from all of our troubles and all of our enemies. But we must understand that this is a broad view that you have as you sit and uh, gaze upon your creation from your throne outside of space and time. So we accept, Lord, that we may not be delivered from the disease or the injury. We may not be delivered from the wars and the, and the accidents and, and the, the calamities and natural disasters. We may not be delivered from these, but we are delivered from death. We are delivered from permanent silence. We are delivered into your hands and saved for a day when there will be no tears and no sorrow and no grief a day that will culminate this whole process that we've been reading about in the book of revelation so lord give us hope give us peace of mind and help us to understand your majestic and wonderful ways even as we read this story of the return of the king lord jesus we pray in his holy name. Amen. Well, we've reached chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, and this is episode 30. Three. It's kind of amazing that we've come this far. Chapter 19 in my Bible is got a heading of Hallelujah. What does yours say, Bethany? Hallelujah. Oh. What? Well, imagine that. Crazy. And so this is a, a story that's been pretty gloomy up to this point. And now it's... Uh, getting well hopeful again anyway so uh, i guess the thing to do to start with is read a few verses and then see what we come up with would you do the honors please after this i heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god for true and just are his judgments he has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Well, there you go. Um, it's, it's one of those things that is so prevalent, especially in these last couple of chapters, that we... Um, could easily overlook but i feel like today's a good day to remember that if there's one thing that the bible seems to say over and over again from the human side it is lord we want justice you know mm -hmm. um i mentioned that there's basically the problem of sin is pride and that's sort of a fundamental truth of the bible and therefore there are two ways to live your life in a god-honoring way or a self-serving way and pride is the essence of self-service and one of the most horrible expressions of human pride is oppression mm -hmm. and so god hates oppression and so these are sort of consistent truths that repeat over and over again in scripture and Jesus repeats that theme in the Mount, a Sermon on the Mount and so forth. But something I've failed to mention really as often is that that's because people are constantly crying out to the Lord for justice. They're always saying, when will we be justified? You know, when, when will our oppressors finally be put down? And of course, the woman that's being described here is Babylon mm -hmm. and Babylon is the emblem of human pride and vanity, the emblem of, of, uh, human consumption and, you know, the whole concept of, of an entirely humanistic worldview that basically culminates in, um, a, an oppressive redream, <laughs> oppression, oppression, Blah. oppressive regime thank you that is exactly what my lips were trying to say 
uh, unsuccessfully. So, you know, here it is. Justice has arrived. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the all of heaven and earth is praising <clears throat> because it's receiving and seeing justice. And I don't know, I find that interesting um, only because personally I've become really frightened of claiming that I need justice. Um, seems like whenever I think I deserve vindication, there's always some crackpot standing around the corner to say, well, what makes you think you deserve vindication, you know? <laughs> and, and then there's this other kind of justice that I desire that, you know, says, careful, if he gets what he deserves, you just might get what you deserve. So now that I see in the end here this justice and judgment and all of this really coming to pass, and everybody's celebrating, I'm thinking the only way you can really celebrate seeing the oppressors punished and justice being served is if you know you're not guilty. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise I'd be really afraid of this moment of justice because I would think, okay, I may not have done everything they did, but sooner or later it's going to come around to me. And so an underlying message in all of this talk of justice and vindication and retribution, the underlying message is, is that there have been those who were justified, whose, whose punishment has been commuted, who, has been, who have been declared not guilty. And so it's the not guilty who can rejoice in the fact that the guilty are getting what's coming to them. Mm -hmm. And yet there's something sort of proud about that. <laughs> Yeah. So I have a real problem with it. This is a big philosophical complex <laughs> idea for me. And it's not a problem with scripture and friends don't think that I'm trying to confuse the issue. It's just, it's just that there's something about the way I grew up. There's something about the way my brain works that, that I don't feel shame. I just feel that I have no business being in the judging, uh, in the, I don't, I don't have any right to be a judge. I, I want to see justice served, but I also want to see my sentence commuted. And I thank God that he's commuted it through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> You're very silent. Maybe you should just read. Okay. <laughs> I, thought you no. might, I thought you might have something to say about that. No, well, I, I don't know. I think that... You have to you have to talk a little because I'm drinking the herbal tea you said <laughs> that would help my voice. Well, I don't know. Like these passages, like last chapter and this one, they're kind of hard for me because they're very straightforward. Like, like the like the praise and songs and stuff. It's very straightforward, so they're harder for me to. Not a lot of interpretation to do there, huh? Yeah, to expand upon. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. Okay, well, let's just keep going then. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God and who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Mm. Well, so there is some interpretation that could be done here. Mm -hmm. um, we've, top, we've visited this topic before, but the truth is, is that I've, I've occasionally... Uh, gotten the cart before the ox, so to speak, because I've mentioned this as, a, as something that's coming, and yet we're finally there, so now I can justly, <laughs> got that word on my mind now, mm -hmm. uh, speak to it. So when you think about the, the, the ancient Jewish traditions around marriage and weddings in particular, the very traditions that Jesus would have observed and participated in at Cana in Galilee, which is just 
one of many weddings he probably attended, but, you know. Um, I bet he got invited to a lot of weddings after that one. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, when word you got know. out that he could save you, sever, you know, several hundred shekels <laughs> on wine, you know. I'd invite him. It's like, man, the, you know, I want the Jesus discount. <laughs> anyway, um, he, uh, it when when someone was betrothed, it started with the bridegroom negotiating with the father of the bride and a a purchase price was it was was mm-hmm. negotiated um it, you know he he got a, a a like a pawn ticket you know that was good for redemption of one bride you know <laughs> age 15 you know, whatever. You're and, worth ten cows to me. Yeah, and and you know, and and it wasn't. It, it sounds so cold that way, but it but it was really all part of of the, uh, you know, it was all part of the the way things were done, and it wasn't done in a cold-hearted way, at least any more than they are now. I mean, there are people who marry for convenience, people who marry for for uh, uh, you know, family purposes and there's all kinds of marriages even today that are are less than than you know romantic but at the end of the day this tradition of the jewish wedding started with the negotiation what would it cost to redeem the bride and then the betrothal would be contracted so to speak and announced and therefore they were, for all intents and purposes, married, and uh, and you know, like even today, I do weddings, and people bring me their their license from the courthouse, and apart from my signing it and saying they said the words today, and confirmed their commitment to this document, really, the wedding, that once they get their license, they're almost entirely married anyway. It really is just waiting for my signature. You know, so mm-hmm. so it's kind of like that. They're betrothed, and the betrothal can go on for years or months. It just depends. Typically, the groom goes back to his father's house, and he builds an addition onto his father's house where his bride and he will live. And he will not only build the addition but he'll acquire the various furnishings and you know he's basically going to create a home for his new bride to keep and for them to build their family in and this could take time you know there's there's not only a purchase price but there's also the preparations that have to be made and then as a sort of a game that's it's part of the the fun is the the groom will of course choose his groomsmen and maybe discuss privately with them who he's uh you know when he's thinking he's going to have this wedding and you know the various plans and uh and the best man you know instead of arranging a stag party actually arranges uh the wedding party you know um and and it's paid for uh in a variety of ways but but the best man is sort of making the arrangements and then it's just up to the groom to say when meanwhile the bride has her bridesmaids so to speak uh helping her get ready and so she's filling her her hope chest with lots of little game you know things that she'll need for her own home her her supplies her favorite uh you know things that she's going to take with him and she's packing all of this and getting it ready to go because she doesn't know when he's going to come and uh because it often happens at night um he will uh remind her to keep her her lanterns or her lamps oiled up and the wicks trimmed and Mm -hmm. ready to go um because when he calls for her she has to gather her things and go with him right away Mm -hmm. and uh it's sort of a game and it's a tradition and you know and and so one night 
when the timing is right, when the groom feels like it's ready to go and the, and, and the groom's father says, you know, all the preparations are made, go and get your bride. And the bridegroom takes off for his bride's house and his friends are with him and they're playing tambourines and they're singing and they're dancing and they make sure there's plenty of hint and indication that they're on the way. And uh, chances are the rumors have gone around in this little town, you know, that he's on his way and everything. And so the bride is getting ready. She's got all of hers ready. She's got her, her bridesmaids ready to go. And then he gets to her house and he says, it's time. And she runs from her house. Her friends run from their houses and they all follow and they dance and they sing their way back to the bridegroom's home mm -hmm. where all the preparations have been made and the party starts but before the real partying happens he takes his bride and takes her into the room that he's prepared for them the addition to the home and they consummate the marriage and at the consummation of the marriage uh it's permanent you know it's complete at that point and they will eventually come back out with big silly grins on their faces i suppose and that's when the party really starts right so after all of that thinking about how jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom who will come in the night without warning and so you need to have your lamps trimmed and ready to go and you need to be prepared mm -hmm. then we come to this reality in chapter 19 of revelation where it says that the uh wedding supper of the lamb oh, wait, we haven't read that part yet. oh yeah excuse me <clears throat> spoiler spoiler there's a wedding supper for the wedding of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. So this language is directly from that tradition. And it's basically, you know, the announcement of all of heaven, like the groomsman, you know, so to speak, saying, it's party time, go get her. Well, that's good news, I guess, because he told us when he was on earth that we better be ready. And turns out that at least there were people who were ready. Mm-hmm. Not all, but some. But this is this. So this is exciting, and the imagery is beautiful. And and some people have probably already read between the lines that, you know, to redeem the bride, there was a purchase price that was set by the father. Mm -hmm. You know, and the bridegroom has paid the price, and so now he can come and claim his wife. He can come and claim her and take her back. And the consummation in this case isn't so much of a physical union well no i take that back it really is a physical union it's because it's now the eternal you know we've been listening to revelation for all these months and it's been as i once said sort of like the ball on new year's eve slowly dropping and now really heaven and earth have come together and the consummation really is heaven and earth yeah. all being one again mm -hmm. And so there really is a union, uh, and, and, and really a better word would be reunion, because it is the restoration of Eden, in effect, or mm -hmm. the spirit of Eden, which is that God and humanity would exist in the same place. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it's a really beautiful idea. And uh, so announcement time the wedding party is on its way. Here it comes. And what's interesting is, is that uh, who's he bringing with him to the wedding, uh, to the bride? You know, it, it's, I mean, it, it's really kind of interesting because uh, there's a sense that the, the ones who are, are um, with him are also the bride you know in other words the church the raptured church the church that's those who have persevered through all of the tri uh, tribulations and everything so it's, it's an interesting image but maybe we should just keep reading and then see where we get okay then the angel said to me right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb and he added these are the true words of god 
At this, I fell to his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know, this is a really good reminder that angels will not let you worship them. And that might seem like a silly thing, but there's only one angel that ever wanted to be worshipped, and we know how that turned out. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, this is his day of judgment. And the other thing I would tell you is, is therefore, if you would like to go all the way back to the book of Joshua, and Joshua is stopped in the middle of his path that he's on by what he thinks is an angel. And when he realizes that he's talking to someone very special, that one says nothing about his worship. He encourages the worship. So it's not an angel. Mm -hmm. It's the only one who would allow himself to be worshiped. And therefore, the one who's about to fight Jericho and defeat Jericho is standing in front of Joshua, and he's saying, tomorrow, I'm going to kick their tails. You guys are going to watch. And he also encourages that they worship him. Mm -hmm. So that really is interesting, especially in light of what's coming in the next chapters here, the the rest of this chapter, that... uh, who who fights these battles did did the lord return so that we could help him defeat evil or did he return so that we could join him at the party or the wedding feast um it's like he's got the rest of this i think he's probably got this dad you know um yeah probably got this i don't think he needs our help but I'm glad we're invited to party. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's next? I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has his, this name written, King of King and Lord, Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay. <clears throat> There's some beautiful imagery here. I'll start with the last thing. Um, you have to, you have to watch movies like the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lord of the Rings. You have to, you have to think, uh, horseback combat Mm -hmm. to understand that what's written on his thigh, um, knights who were riding on a horse or soldiers riding on horseback, um, had like ribbons and things that were draped over their thighs that said who they were fighting for you know it not all that different from the insignia on the side of a tank or an airplane or something you know it's you got to differentiate the enemy from a friend you know so they they wearing the the horses decked out with as much garmentry and armor as the rider mm-hmm. and therefore the message is this is who I work for, you know, that's why, what it means like on the thigh. Yeah. Um, but then you go back and, and who is he? He's the word of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard and even seen some bizarre pictures of, of, you know, like Jesus with swords coming out of his mouth, like, like somehow he's going to be like a Pez dispenser with swords, you know, <laughs> And it's it's a little bizarre. Um, I think we can safely assume that if it was by one word from the Lord that existence, uh, creation came into existence, it's safe to assume that if Jesus says, well, like he did to the storm on the Sea of Galilee, right. you know, he just says, silence, be yeah. still, you know, I mean, that's all he has to say and it's over. So I don't really think that Jesus has to do anything other than say, it's over. 
and it is. Mm-hmm. And and then here's a line that I think is pretty remarkable. The he treads the wine press of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty. It really ought to give us pause to try to imagine if we dare just what it looks like when God is at full strength fury. You know, we we think of God's fury in earthly terms. We we imagine a volcano erupting and, and think, well, that's like the fury. We think of a really horrible thunderstorm, and we think of that as the fury of God. We have no concept yeah. of what it looks like when God is absolutely furious. And this is, I think, part of the reason I have this sort of whole, you know, kind of resistance to talking too much about justice. Because I have no place apart from Jesus to talk about justice because I can't I can't expect judgment for my enemies if I'm not willing to accept that I deserve judgment as well. And this is what scares me when I think about it, because this is the fury of God. This is this is the incredible wrath of an angry God. And I'm excused from it simply because the Lord saved me. But can you imagine being on the receiving end of the furious wrath of God? Nope. You know, and I'm really glad I don't have to. You know, I'm going to tell a story that I've waited almost 40 years to tell. Um, and I remember a dear friend of mine in high school. Uh, th- so there was this story. Um, I've mentioned to people that the reason I get into Revelation and started reading the Bible when I was a teenager was because I was a Catholic kid from the East who shows up in a little town in Oklahoma in the heart of the Bible Belt, and all these dear, dear people are determined to make sure I get saved, and they're all telling me various uh, various, uh, interpretations of of why one should be saved and what they're being saved from and 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 I'm getting caught up in it all. I mean it really intrigues my imagination. I wrote a story in in uh in in creative writing class in high school that had them all spellbound as I was describing the wrath of God at the end of the days and all of this and but what was really interesting to me was I also like going to the state fair every summer in Tulsa, and I went there one year, and I found this bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming, and is he ever pissed? And and I beg your pardon, folks, if that language is offensive to you. I was a 17-year-old who had a very basic and crude knowledge of, of the real God. I had, a re- I had a relationship with God. I had a relationship with Jesus, but it was built around a very immature frame at that point in my life. But what's really amazing is, is that my dear friends would say to me, you know, that's offensive. And I agreed with them, so eventually I cut the bottom part off and I just left the Jesus is coming on my truck. But now, 40 years, almost 40 years later, I'm thinking, you know what? Jesus is coming, and he's going to be mad when he comes. He's, he's going to, I won't use that colorful word again, but I'm just saying... This tells me here in chapter 19 that Jesus is coming, and when he comes, at least for some people, he's going to be ticked off. Well, and the I full also, like, wrath of God is definitely on, on, on teed up and ready I, to go. Like, I know that the, like, the judgment is coming and stuff, but I think at this point, the, one, the only one who should be super concerned is Satan. Mm-hmm. Because that's who he's really mad at. Well, like he, yes, he's like I know he's he's mad at, like he's like he's going to sit in judgment, but he's mad at Satan. Yeah, and he's mad at sin. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, I agree, but <clears throat> I'd be scared if I was Satan. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is he's he's not. I know. <laughs> because he's so full of himself, it's remarkable. I mean, uh, yeah. Let's just keep going. Verse 17. <clears throat> you know, there are some people... <laughs> he's remarkably not self-aware. Yeah. 
And this there are some people that, yeah, out. I know. There are some people that I know that are also remarkably not self-aware. But then there are people that I'm like, I wish you were a little bit more unself-aware. Yeah. <laughs> like, but but he's like like for for a immortal being yeah. created by God and like he's really unaware of who he is. He is. He doesn't think he doesn't ask existential questions of himself. <laughs> he just, like he, he like well I said it a few weeks ago. I just think it's really hilarious that he's got this book and he could see it too and he knows how it ends and he's still going to do it all like hmm. blind You know how the ending is blind but, rage, you know, blind blind pride. <sighs> I, um you know um unfortunately when our nations send young men and women to war one of the things they drew do is drill independent thinking out of them mm -hmm. so that they will perform as a unit and they also drill out any existential thought they are <laughs> they're trying to create fighting machines and they're trying to convince them that the enemy is entirely deserving of what you're about to deliver to them. Yeah. Because it's the only way you could get people to do some of the things they have to do in a war. Um, you know, it's just, it's tragic, but it's also as old as humanity. So. But see, that just makes it even more crazy to me when I think about Satan, because like people who are remarkably unself-aware... It's it is a problem of sin and pride and you know, we've talked about those kind of being the same thing almost, but but that's what's really crazy about him, I think, is because it's not like he doesn't have anybody whispering in his ear, throwing him off track, leading him towards those things. Mm -hmm. He just is that way and that's really Yeah kind of mind boggling. Yeah. That it's just himself. Like at least I mean not at least because there's still people who I wish could have a more clear picture of themselves for their own, you know, for their own good, I guess. But you can also say like, well, you know, we all have the devil whispering in our ear. We all have that temptation towards sin and pride and it's because of him, but, and because of sin, but he like, he doesn't have that. <laughs> Yeah. He's just that proud. Yeah, it sort of begs the question that I'm sure the more philosophical listeners are thinking with me, and that is, is that how does God create someone who has developed that capacity? Right. You know, and, and I, the answer is, I don't know. Yeah. Um, let's ask God when we get face to face with him, if he's interested in discussing that, happen? you know, it's like. You, you created these beings called angels who are eternal and they are not self-directed in the same way that humanity is, which is why we're somehow like them, but not entirely like them and all this stuff. And, and so the question is, is if you made these beings, how is it that at least one of them developed such a self uh, devotion and developed a following and eventually had to be cast out. And I don't question God's integrity here. I just wonder, but you it know, does, it does make you wonder how does this have, happen? Like, I know that what sets us apart is, you know, the free, like we have free will and stuff. But it does make you wonder if there's some level of will because he had, Part of free will to me is that we have a sense of self. Like we have an ego. Right. And I feel like, I mean, we have all three. I do agree with Freud about that. But we have a sense of self and I feel like for an angel to go, hmm, I'm just as cool. Why am I not being worshipped? I should be this awesome. There's some sense of self. Yes. So there's, I think there has to be some level of will there. Yeah. Yeah, there must be, and yet it's a little difficult. Now, what what worries me is, is that 
if we start talking about angels and I'm all about that, that's fine. But, you know, I remember about 20 years ago, probably because we had a Michael Landon show called highway to heaven, where he's a deceased person who comes back as an angel to do good deeds. And then we have touched by an angel, uh, you know, with, uh, Roma Downey and Della Reese and, and they're doing good deeds and, and it's all really sweet and everything. But for the most part, there is a lot of ridiculous angel lore out mm -hmm. there. There's a lot of made up stuff about yeah. angels and there are a lot of people out there who would rather worship angels than Jesus, the Lord. And so I'm always a little scared when we talk too much about angels because it's like, you know, if we're going to undertake a realistic uh, study of angels, I'm all for it. But we have to be willing to correct erroneous lore, you know, and... So what you and I are doing is critical thinking, and I'm fine with that because we're just asking the question, how are these angelic beings created by God and yet different from us in some pretty significant ways? And yet, clearly a third of them rejected God. It's a curious question. Mm -hmm. It's one we should try to look at someday, but for now... <laughs> We're better off, you know, while that'd be a great topic to take up while we're eating supper at the wedding supper of the lamb. You know, we could be sitting there chowing down on our, our wedding supper and we can just say, um, yeah, so what's up with that Satan guy anyway? Like, like how'd that even happen? You know, <laughs> I'll ask that right after I ask about mosquitoes because mosquitoes really like, <laughs> I don't like spiders, but they serve a purpose. Mosquitoes. What, 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 what do they do? I'm sure a lot of people would agree with you about that, but we'll we'll come, we'll see. As that's a matter been, of fact, that's, that's been my first question. Come to think of time. it, I mean, I could imagine for Jesus's sake, you know, he's off dealing with, you know, hell's army, and we're having the wedding supper, and maybe there's an angel there, like Gabriel. He's a messenger. He's probably like doing a PowerPoint where he's saying, "Keep eating," but the entertainment portion of the feast tonight is answers to the most commonly asked questions faqs frequently asked questions and and they'll just be oh, flashing man. those across the screen on the like a powerpoint and gabriel you know he'll say mosquitoes this comes up quite frequently here's the answer go ahead take another serving it nobody be a good answer <laughs> So there's, there's. If Gabriel doesn't do that, I'm going to ask Michael because I plan to be BFFs with him. Well, I I think that's a great idea, but you know, I'm I'm a little concerned that that that'll have to come at a time when it's more convenient for well, him. Well, he might be busy, but I I intend to be BFFs with him. It seems like we're really going astray here, and. Uh, I think it might be a good time to go back. I guess. So we left off with the one on the white horse with a garment over his thigh that mm -hmm. says King of Kings yes. and Lord of Lords. And then... And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come and gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Yeah. Well, um, interesting choice of terms, and yet we should point out that that the wedding feast <laughs> is not this. Um, <laughs> no, I think this is what we were talking about. You mentioned last it week last about, like, week. About the carrying or, birds and yeah how that makes sense that those would be the birds left and yeah you know um and he's saying hey you're about to have a feast guys yeah it's it's you know uh the redeemed are having one kind of feast and the beasts of the earth are having another kind of feast yeah and 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 so yeah it's a little metaphorical but i don't think it's entirely metaphorical it really is wholesale destruction of the flesh and and that's why it means everybody you know i mean in all of history one thing that's pretty consistent is kings presidents 
prime ministers, generals, generally, poor, poor choice of words, they are usually people who don't get hurt. They're too important to get hurt. So they send everybody else out there to do the dying. And what this one said, in this battle, everybody dies. In this battle, it's not going to matter if you're a king, a president, prime minister, general with five stars or two stars or whatever. Everybody dies in this one. Well, my guess is that there's not enough people left to send a bunch of people out ahead well, of you. <laughs> I'm sure that's true, but it's, kind of it's like, this is the wrath of God. This, yeah. this is... Uh, you know, we're we're getting. I I don't want to go off target here too much, but uh, I just finished up my sermon notes today for Sunday the twenty third of two thousand eighteen, meaning that it's just the day before Christmas Eve, and I'm basically focusing on the fact that Jesus was born, um, kind of in the shadow of the Herodium, um, because it's just outside of Bethlehem and it's still there to this day. Mm-hmm. And and just the idea that Jesus um, came into the world as a little tiny baby, helpless and, and, and unimportant in the world's scheme and human rulers, you know, they, they had choirs singing their praises and things because that's what they had to do if they wanted to live. Meanwhile, this little baby is being sung by angelic hosts. And and so there's just this whole contrast. And it's just really interesting because this is where it all flips. This is Jesus coming to earth the second time. And on this one, all those kings and leaders are going down. Mm-hmm. And he is the supreme authority. I mean, so... So this is, we, we, we've been joking about how Revelation is Genesis in reverse. Well, chapter 19 would be Christmas in reverse. It, it would be like the counter image of Christmas. He enters the world at the time of his birth as a helpless little baby, and he has no particular impact on the world with his first arrival, apart from a few people who know what it's really about. His second coming, totally different completely reversed yeah and really you could say that about earlier chapters because the kings of the earth were cursing god remember they were angry because they understood exactly who they were dealing with they just rejected it Mm -hmm. yeah so all right we're getting to the point here where we need to wind up and it looks like we've got just a couple of verses left so you want to read those then i saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their enemies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army but the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Well, pretty much what we thought would happen. Mm -hmm. Now, chapter 20 and 21, which will pretty much take us to the end of the road, 22, we have three chapters left, will describe what happens after all of this, the millennium, all of that. But just keep in mind as we close that this is Satan and his henchmen being cast into the lake of fire alive. And they're going to be there. They're going to they're gonna be boiling in their own juices for a while. I almost said, this sounds like Dante's Inferno. And then I was like, wait, Dante's Inferno sounds like Revelation. Yeah. Switch yeah. that. <laughs> and you know... I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here because because you know among my friends and those who read scripture with me in the spirit that I try to read it um it won't surprise you that I take things pretty literally uh and yet that doesn't make me some sort of right-wing nut uh undereducated whatever it just means that you know it means what it means but I am, as time passes, I become more and more convinced that certain things that seem so blatantly obvious that they seem ridiculous because of their blatant obviousness. Feels like there's a better way to say that. 
I I really think, you know, if anybody ever figures out how to dig all the way through the mantle of the earth, it might be bad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just I just can't help wondering if it isn't a good idea that we can only get down to about a thousand feet instead of the twenty four or five miles that they say is I think it's probably best. It's probably a good idea to just leave that alone. Yeah. Uh <laughs> And, uh, you know, so now I'm imagining, you know, God has given them an express trip to the pit. And there they will stay until, as scripture indicates in the coming chapters, that he is going to get one more chance. Um, And it's sort of a culling of the herd, which is really fascinating. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Like, even when it seems like it's over and done with, there's still opportunity for salvation. Yeah. And unfortunately for some, even in the millennial reign, there will be opportunity for sin. Yeah. And so that's why the judgment had, the final judgment hasn't happened yet. So, so this is all very interesting. All right. So if you are listeners who are pretty well caught up and you're following us week to week, then this message is particularly relevant to you. It is a few days, it's less than a week from Christmas 2018. Therefore, mm-hmm. we're going to take a break in recording so that we can enjoy our families uh, on both sides and, and, and just enjoy our quality time together and not feel burdened to get this thing done because we love doing it, but it does take a lot of work, believe it or not. It takes about three hours all total for me to do it. Uh, the pre-production, post-production, all that jazz. Because uh, we try to give you something of good quality. And uh, and that's why I'm embarrassed when there are itchy, glitchy things. But I digress. So we would like for you to bear with us and wait until the first week of January 2019 for the next episode. That also gives you time to think. Because we have three chapters of Revelation left. And we really need to hear some suggestions from you about what to study. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that could go a lot of different directions. So please feel free to just throw out the options. And uh, it would just be wonderful to hear from you. The best way by far for us to hear from you is through the Facebook group, Knowing God with Heart and Mind. And uh, if you don't do that, then you can reach out to us by email. And if you're wondering how to do that, visit shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H dot, excuse me, S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And uh, you can connect with us by looking at all the resources on that site. And uh, that'd be the best way to do it because we really want to hear from you. But... uh, I think we're going to wrap it up, Bethany, and uh, and then just, uh, like I said, if you happen to be one of the people who are listening in sync with us, then Merry Christmas to you, and have a mm-hmm. blessed New Year. Mm-hmm. Merry Christmas. And we will see you again soon. So God bless you, and goodbye.